Lords of the Limited is proud to be brought to you in part by StarCityGames.com. Not only are they the home of the top content and coverage on the web, they're also the world's largest independent retailer for Magic the Gathering singles and supplies. For more information, visit StarCityGames.com. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of Lords of Limited. My name is Ben Warney, and joining me on the line with a very husky voice today is Ethan Sachs. Ethan, what's going on? I'm just going to be sick forever. That's it. I, I think I like it. I like it enough that I'd like to just stay sick forever. Yeah. So that's what I'm going to do. Yeah, it gives a nice, sexy twinge to your voice there. Ben, I'm married. Please stop it. <laughs> How are you doing, bud? Doing well. I survived band camp and hitting the ground running here in Greenwood, Indiana and getting ready to start the school year on Tuesday. We're starting school in July. How uncivilized is that? That's really uncivilized. Why is that? That's crazy. They just balance calendar thing where like you get a week off for fall break and other stuff. There's more breaks, but I would rather just start later and just get it over with. Yeah, I agree. That's what I used to do. I started school in September. Whoa, that's super late. It was mid mid to late August for me when I was growing up. I don't understand why that's not standardized in some way. Anyway, we are digressing pretty hard here. What do we got on tap for the episode this week? We are going to be talking Mythic Championship 4 draft review. This is our patented Mythic Championship draft review episode. And the draft format this week was Modern Horizons, which is also going to be the draft format for GP Vegas, which we are attending. That is right. That is very exciting. I'm, I'm excited to be reunited with you for the second time. I know. That's crazy. It's only going to be the second time we've met in person. <laughs> yeah, that's wild. All right. So we got a little bit of business to take care of at the top of the show, like we always do. And the first thing we want to talk about is the Lords of Limited Patreon, patreon.com slash Lords of Limited, where you can give back to the show if you so choose. We got some perks for you there. And of course, everybody who chooses to give back to the show gets access to the Lords of Limited Discord, which is just the hotness on the internet, 24-7 limited tech support. It's really awesome. It's a fantastic community. Super, super proud. It continues to grow. It continues to evolve. It continues to be refined. And I'm uh, very, very excited to be a part of that community. And of course, each and every week, we want to make sure we shout out our new patrons. So this week, we're going to welcome to the fray Ryan, Chiss, Luis, Brandon, DW Beard, Matthew, Petter, Drew, Matt, David, Andrew, Chesney, Ravul, Nathan, Jonah, Wes, Trevor, James, Pedro, Connor, Aaron, Billy, Scott, and Rusty. Thank you, thank you, thank you. We really appreciate your support. Yeah, I will continue to say I have not been able to draft Magic nearly as much as I would like, but the Discord has been keeping me in touch with the formats that are going on for the past two to three weeks while I've been moving here and doing Bandcamp, etc. So despite the fact that I haven't been able to play much, I do feel very in tune with what's going on. And a huge part of that is the Discord. So if you're in a similar boat and you love draft, but you can't draft quite as much as you like, I do think the Discord is a place where you can stay in touch and feel like when you hop into your draft, when you have time, you're raring and ready to go to try to get that 3-0. Yeah, like the what's the pick, what's the play, and what's the build sections of the Discord are really awesome. I mean, they're just like mini draft videos or mini draft simulators for you to get to participate in. It's really cool. Agreed. And the show is now also brought to you in part by our partnership with Coalesce Apparel. So Lords of Limited is partnering with Coalesce Apparel and Design, Magic's newest apparel company. And as part of that, we have a gift code for you to get 10% off your order there, which pertains to any apparel on their website, not just our Lords of Limited t-shirts. And that code is LOL, all caps. If you have already ordered your Lords of Limited t-shirt and you're wondering when it's going to arrive, shirts are going off to print this week and you can expect them to start arriving the end of the first week of August. Yeah, so we'll have them in time for Vegas. Can't wait to sport those hashtag I'm with Ben and hashtag I'm with Ethan shirts. And speaking of GP Vegas, I want to remind folks we have set our date and time for our live recording of our Lords of Limited episode. We're going to be doing that Friday, August 23rd at 10 a.m. at the Las Vegas Marriott Hotel, which is just across the street from the convention center where the Magic Fest is. Um, that is free of charge, free admission. We really hope folks come out to check that out. We'll do a little mini episode and do a Q&A, and that's all going to be recorded and then shipped off to all of our fine, fine listeners. Yeah, really looking forward to the chance to get to meet listeners of the podcast and hang out with you and answer some of your questions. And maybe we'll be able to hang out and do a draft or two afterwards. We have the, the room for the day there. So I hope we're going to hang out and do a draft or two. Good God, why wouldn't we? I don't know. So that's all of our business business. And then just a few like sort of this week in magic business things to talk about before we dive into the full draft at the Mythic Championship. Um, there's a really cool event up on Magic Online this week, which is a cons expansion cube. Um, this is not what I think a lot of people thought before they fired up their first draft. It's not just a cube of only cards from cons of Tarkir block. 
but rather it expands upon the limited environment of Khans of Tarkir in a cube format. So it's like basically just building upon what that limited environment felt like and adding cards to the cons cards that like sort of beef that up. So if you think about the the five archetypes that you had or the five three color pairs that you had. So you have Sultai, which was about like graveyard and delve. And so that's like, that's what that's about. There's Jeskai, which gives you prowess and spells matter. There's Mardu, which has aggro and raid as a mechanic with a warrior sub theme in white black. Uh, Teamer is all about ferocious four power stuff. And I, I wrote this in the show notes, but then I almost drafted this archetype. This was the, the Ben Werney archetype when we were doing our cons like crash course review uh, that you loved this like blue green tempo deck. And I was like, I don't think that deck exists here, but I almost drafted it yesterday. And so I do think it, it exists in this cube, which is really cool. Um, and then Abzan cares about plus one plus one counters being placed on creatures. And then there's also like a five color morph theme. So there's Trail of Mystery and Secret Plans and other cards that care about you having like a critical mass of morphs. And this cube is just so very sweet. Kudos to Elliot Raff and to Watsi who designed this cube. Um, it's a real low powered cube. There's no planeswalkers. It feels really fun to draft. It feels really cool to like figure out the synergies in it. And it's really nice that it's not like all about just like crazy, crazy bombs. Yeah, I'm looking forward to drafting this. Haven't had a chance to yet, but if this feels like triple cons at all or triple cons on steroids, I definitely want to be drafting this cube and hope to do some later today on stream. Yeah, triple cons on steroids is exactly how I would describe it. So we also have a quick arena bot update after our episode last week. Watsi unfortunately changed the bots about three or four days after our episode went out. So the bots are now letting murder go a little bit later and black is easier to draft than it was. And I think red and green are a little less open than they were previously. Blue still definitely very draftable and very open. So if you've listened to our episode last week and you're sitting down to draft arena, make sure you're aware that the bots have changed their pick orders from our episode last week and that black is much more draftable and red and green, maybe not quite as open as we described in the episode last week. And maybe they've adjusted the bots to white being worse than the other colors. There was a, someone uh, tweeted at, I think me, you and quarter calls about a pick where they had the white cavalier and they were wondering if they should take it or avoid white. And cord made a comment that he thought that since the bot update, that taking that card was, was more reasonable. And so I wonder if that means that white has been adjusted as well. Yeah, I can certainly see that. I think regardless, that card's powerful enough that I would be taking it even if white weren't crazy open. No, not me. Hashtag, I'm never going to draft white. <laughs> All right, so before we dive into our sort of round the table segment here, so we're basically just going to take what they do at the Mythic Championship, which is they will take a look at the featured pod draft and look at like the first three picks from each player and then take a look at their deck list and, and their record. And then we'll also put that in conjunction with the two featured drafters of the day of day one, which are Marcio Carvalho and Paul Rietzel. But before that, I think it'd be useful to look at sort of the, the overarching 3-0 and 6-0 archetype breakdown to see what folks were having success with this weekend at the Mythic Championship. Yeah, I think it's a lot of what we were talking about when Modern Horizons was first coming out, which feels good for us in the podcast and the Discord for figuring out Modern Horizons. So the best performing deck on day one as far as 3-0 drafters was Blue Black Ninjas, which I think we had pegged as the best archetype in the format. Following closely on its heels was Black Red. And you know you can build that a couple different ways. You can do a Goblin sub-theme. You can do the Sacrifice sub-theme, Sliver sub-theme. There's a lot of different pockets of synergy you can have in the Black Red decks. And then past that, there's snow which had a lot of success but they broke it down into a bunch of different archetypes so if you add it all up there were probably about eight nine ten snow decks as well that three owed so snow i think was the next best performing archetype with several different flavors usually base green or base blue green but sometimes three four and even one five color snow deck that did really well yeah i mean i think that that all makes sense to me yeah they've got like green blue bant snow teamer snow sultai snow so i think if you when you lump those all together it may even be the second best performing archetype of day one and then if we look at the 6-0 drafters, there were only four people that went 6-0. David Mines went four-color snow twice, both days. Thorolf Severin went red-green and black-red. Jacob Wilson went blue-black and white-black. And Jack Kiefer went black-red and blue-black. So a lot of variety of archetypes there. You know, you see blue-black and black-red a couple times, four-color snow a couple times, and then some of the lesser touted archetypes in red-green and white-black making an appearance. But I think ultimately just a good reminder that Whatever's open in Modern Horizons is definitely what you're supposed to be drafting because the synergy is so powerful. I think that phrase, drafting whatever's open is important, is a great way to segue into our 
uh, around the table feature here. So we're going to start off with Marcio Carvalho. He's going to be our player one. And then we're going to just go around the table clockwise following uh, the drafts as that goes. So pack one, pick one, Ben, are you ready to take a seat at the Mythic Championship Roundtable? Oh boy, I, I would like to play in a Mythic Championship, I think once. So very excited to put myself in that seat. All right. So Looking at this pack, you see a conifer worm, which is four and a green for a four, four snow creature with trample. And you can pay three and a green to give it plus X plus X until end of turn, which where X is the number of snow permanents you control. There's enduring sliver, which is one and a white for a two, two sliver. And it has all slivers you control have two tap outlast. Uh, so you tap it and put a plus plus one counter on it at sorcery speed. There's venomous changeling, two and a black for a one, three changeling creature with death touch. Uh, Snow Swamp is your land, and your rare, which is probably going to blow everything out of the water, is Winds of Abandon. This is one and a white for a sorcery. Exile target creature and opponent controls, and its controller may search its library for a basic land card, put it into play tapped, and then shuffle their library. But you can also pay four white-white to overload it, which means you target all creatures your opponents control, not just one with it. Yeah, one-sided Plague Wind sounds pretty good to me. I think, you know, this is one of the best cards in the set. Conifer Worm is a very powerful payoff for the snow deck, but I don't think comes particularly close to Winds of Abandon here, and I would slam that and move on to pack one, pick two. Yeah, I mean, there's some considerations here, right? I think white is the worst color in every magic set, basically, but (laughs) (laughs) white's the worst color in Modern Horizons, for sure. I'm just making a joke that I feel like it's been the worst color in like the past three sets. But this is, and we talked about this in our sealed episode, I think, about how this format is really not bomb heavy. But I would say there's like five, maybe 10 rares that just feel like busted in half. And Winds of Abandon, I think, makes that cut for sure. So I would never pass this card. Agreed. Moving on to pack one pick two. Uh, He's got a Factor Fiction. That's the three and a blue instant. And you reveal the top five cards of your library. Your opponent splits them into two piles. You pick one pile to put into your hand, the other into a graveyard. Uh, Snow Plains is your land. Changeling Outcast, single black for a 1-1 changeling creature that can't be blocked and can't block itself. And Rhyme Tender, one and a green for a 2-2 snow creature, and it can tap to untap another snow permanent. I would think I would quickly rule out snow planes here for this pick and be considering Foff, Changeling Outcast, or Rhyme Tender. I think you can make a case for Changeling Outcast as one of the best enablers for the ninja deck. And if you're cutting cards like Changeling Outcast, you're likely to get hooked up with the ninjas in pack two because you really need the enablers to make that deck work. And Changeling Outcast is one of the best. The card just has continually overperformed the entire format. Rhyme Tender is a very good card if you end up in snow and also outside of snow because sometimes you like hedge into snow and then you get cut out of it and you can still make sort of a Rhyme Tender ramp package in green. So I think despite the fact that, you know, I think a lot of people think islands are the best snow land, I think somehow snow forests go up a little bit in value even more than the snow islands because of the synergy with rhyme tenders. You know, if you've got a random three, four snow forest in your deck, plus it's a lot easier to pick up the off color snow lands sometimes that I think rhyme tender can pull a lot of weight. But ultimately, I think the power level of factor fiction would make it the pick here for me. Yes, this kind of doubles with reign of revelation. And sometimes you even want reign of revelation more than factor fiction. That's a really powerful card here. I don't know. It's it's close between Factor Fiction, Changeling Outcast, and Rhyme Tender for me. I think I would ultimately land on Factor Fiction. I would as well. Marcio landed on Rhyme Tender here. And it was interesting, on coverage, Eduardo made the comment that he th- said a lot of pros think Rhyme Tender is the best green common, which seems kind of wild to me. And also, there were just kind of a lot of those comments on coverage. I'm going to I'm going to take a shot here. I felt like there was a lot of like broad the pros think this comment without like a lot of backup to it and there were also comments that I didn't agree with and so it made me think that a lot of pros did not think that. Yeah, I could see that as well. You you brought that up before we started the show and thinking back on it, I think there were a lot of those type of things going on in coverage where maybe they were just using that as a, you know, you and I latch onto a catchphrase in the yeah, episode last that's true. last week it was take a flyer. I think maybe the coverage team latched on to a lot of the pros think X when I don't think X was necessarily true or optimal draft strategy. If you've talked to people that have drafted the format, you know, 50, 100 times like Beers SC or Corticals or Alpha Frog on Twitter, like if you're not following that person, you really need to. Their Twitter is an abundance of wealth of knowledge about Modern Horizons draft. Yeah. So Marcio grabbed Rhyme Tender here and moved on to pack one, pick three. He's got a Snow Plains, a regular cohort, two white, white for the 2 2 changeling. It's like Call the Cavalry comes into play. It's a 2 2, and you make a 2 2 colorless changeling token. Munitions Expert, that's the black red uncommon. It's a black red. 
for a 1-1 goblin with flash. And when it comes into play, it deals damage to target creature equal to the number of goblins you control. And Valiant Changeling, which is five white white for a 3-3 changeling with double strike. And it costs one less to cast for each creature type among creatures you control. Listed in our show notes as Changeling Knight Uncommon, dude. How descriptive Look, is that? I was trying, I'm going through this like the viewer pretty fast i'm trying to keep up with marcio <laughs> flipping through the cards and i haven't played modern horizons in a few weeks i forgot what the card names were no i knew exactly what you were talking about i that that means much more to me than value and change <laughs> <laughs> so i think this comes down to Valiant Changeling versus a regular cohort for me. I really want to play my Winds of Abandon if I can. And I think Valiant Changeling is probably better if you get there than a regular cohort. And I think White also suffers from this problem of the four drop slot being really, really clogged. And there are ways to just get Changeling Knight out on turn two or turn three. So it's not really a seven drop in your curve. I think I would be on Valiant Changeling over a regular cohort here to go along with my Winds of Abandon. That makes a lot of sense to me. I think a regular cohort is defensible. What's the the two for the rocks something? The rocks veteran. Yeah, rocks veteran is just better than a regular cohort. It's it's tough when both of those are like two of the premium commons for white and that they compete in that four drop slot. And Valiant Changeling can maybe even slot in the curve somewhere else. Maybe even in the three drop slot if you end up with some imposters of the sixth pride. Those are the three one changelings in white. Like I just think it, it is a little bit flexible and you can sort of maybe draft towards it. I also think there's something too, like in theory, if people have drafted this format, then they may be lower on white. And so if you're like getting cutting into white, you might get uh, rewarded down the line. So a- anyway, all, all of that is to say, I think I agree with uh, with your thought about Valiant Changeling, but I think a regular cohort's totally defensible. And Marcio grabbed a regular cohort. Number four, unfortunately, the camera for coverage was showing the people watching the draft instead of the draft itself. That is unacceptable. It was horribly tilting. So we just know that Marcio took Frostwalk Bastion out of this pack, which is an, the uncommon snowland. It taps for colorless mana. You can pay one in a snow to make it a 2-3 until end of turn. And then when it deals combat damage to a creature, you tap that creature and it doesn't untap during its controller's next untap step. So nothing to really discuss there. Don't really know what he took that over. Moving on to pack one pick five, you see a Moonblade Shinobi. That's three and a blue for a 3-2. It has Ninjutsu for two and a blue. And when it deals combat damage to a player, you make a 1-1 flying creature token. Reprobation, which is one on a white for an enchantment aura. Enchanted creature becomes a 0-1 coward. And Venomous Changeling, that's the 1-3 Death Touch Changeling in black. Okay, so just to recap quickly, Marcio has Winds of Abandon, Rhyme Tender, and a regular cohort, and Frostwalk Bastion in his pile. I think this pick comes down to Moonblade Shinobi over Venomous Changeling for me. Reprobation gets no consideration, and there were some Reprobations picked absurdly highly, I thought, in both days. What was that about? I don't know. That card is not good in this format. I mean, maybe you'll play one if you're super light on removal or something, but you do not need to pick it highly, in my opinion. So I think, you know, there's some temptation, especially if you took Valiant Changeling to take Venomous Changeling here. But I think even with Valiant Changeling in my pile, Moonblade Shinobi is good enough. I have that as the third best blue common in my pick order at this point in Modern Horizons. I think I would take it over Venomous Changeling here because it also goes very well in the blue-white deck. And there's flavors of blue-white you can get where, you know, you're happy playing Segovian Angels. That's the 1-1 flying vigilance for a single white or things like that there's there's ways to make moonblade shinobi a very good card in blue white as well so it's not strictly a ninja's card i think it's just a good card in the format right i think that was something that took us like maybe a week or two to figure out but that moonblade shinobi is not a ninja's card it's just a good blue card and it's really not hard to enable its ninjutsu cost and getting a three two plus a one one flyer is really strong yep very strong so he grabbed that as well Pack one, pick six. There's a snow island. There's splicer's skill, which is two and white for a sorcery. You make a three, three colorless golem artifact creature token, but you can splice it onto an instant or sorcery for three and a white. And then there's stirring address, which is one and a white to give target creature plus two, plus two until end of turn. Or you can pay five and a white to overload it to give all your creatures plus two, plus two until end of turn. Yeah, I think this comes down to Splicer Skill versus Stirring Address. I think Splicer Skill is the better card for my money. I think, you know, you're rarely going off with the splicing, but when you do, it's pretty powerful. And I think getting it this early make, makes you able to build around it a little bit. And Stirring Address 
I think has just been largely filler for me, except if you're going very wide in like a green white tokens deck or something. And it doesn't look like we're going down that route yet. So it feels a little early to be taking stirring address to me. Yeah, I agree with that. I also think taking splicer skill early ish, like if you have an impact one like this, then you can sort of draft towards it in later packs, like trying to to get some cheap spells to splice onto, like like maybe scour all possibilities goes up in value for you. That's the one in a blue scry to draw a card with flashback. I, I, I just think it, it's a little bit more flexible and the ceiling on it is certainly much higher than uh than stirring address. But Marcio disagreed and grabbed stirring address here. Pack one, pick seven. He has a choice between enduring sliver, that's the white two drop sliver that gives all your other slivers outlast two, and tribute mage, which is two and a blue for a two two. When it comes into play, you can search your library for an artifact that costs exactly two and put it into your hand. Yeah, I think this is a pretty clear enduring sliver. Thrilled to be seeing white coming and just cutting white from your neighbor and then figuring out what your second color is. I don't think we're committed to a second color yet at all. So great place to be for Marcia. Pack one, pick eight. He's got the choice between Snow Island, Wall of a Thousand Cuts. That's three white, white for a three, five with flying and defender, but you can pay a single white to make it lose defender until end of turn. And Reign of Revelation, three and a blue. For an instant, draw three cards, discard a card. Yeah, I think Reign of Revelation is the best card left in this pack, and I think a fairly clear pick for me over Wall of a Thousand Cuts. Most white decks are not looking to play that card. Yeah, so uh, Marcio agrees and grabs that. Rounding out the pack, he grabs a couple white cards in an Enduring Sliver, which wheeled out of his first pack, giving him a second one of those. Uh, a Vesper Lark pick 10, and then some filler cards, picks uh, 11 through 15 not really much to speak of so he, he ends pack one with knowing basically he's in white right two enduring slivers a regular cohort and winds of abandon and then probably oh and stirring address and then probably wanting to be in blue with moonblade shinobi and rain of revelation but also could be green maybe doing some snow stuff with rhyme tender and Frostwalk bastion but like not a bad spot to be. I don't hate how he's navigated this first pack. No, yeah, I think he's navigated well. I think I would have ended up in white as well. Maybe a little heavier in blue. I'd have taken probably the factor fiction over the rhyme tender. But I think in a very good spot, you've got to be happy being in one color in Modern Horizons at the end of pack one, because that gives you a lot of time. I think frequently the best drafts go that way because that gives you time to figure out what color pair is open to pair with the color that you're deep in. I found myself committing, you know, late in pack two, sometimes even towing the line all the way through pack three between two archetypes. Yeah. So pack two, he grabs an exclude. That's tuna blue for the instant to counter target creature spell and draw card. And then pack to pick two, I think, really solidifies him into blue. He takes Mana War over Watcher for tomorrow. Mana War, of course, being two in a blue, two, two, enters the battlefield, bounce another creature, um, or bounce a creature, actually. Um, but unfortunately, past that and past a few picks at the start of pack three, it just didn't work out for him. Like his blue white deck, as you can see, we'll have a link, we'll have an imager link with all of the, the deck picks in the uh, place where you download the episode so you can see these as well and they'll be in the order of the players that we're going through um, but when you look at marcia's deck here i mean it's just not super exciting he's playing a bunch of clunkers in the deck i think with like two segovian angels and fairy seer in the one drop slot and yes he does have those to probably enable the two moonblade shinobis he has um, he's got you know a couple of regular cohorts but not a lot of stuff that cares about them like he's got some enduring slivers for some synergy there and i think his only piece of removal he's got a winter's rest and that winds of abandon um you know it, it's a pretty unexciting blue white deck for i think him navigating what his color pair should have been yeah i think i would expect that deck to go 2-1 looking at it yeah and that is what it did he went 2-1 moving on to our second seat which is guillaume gautier sees the following options in pack one pick one there's Rot Widow Pack, two black green for the 2-4 with reach, has the activated ability three black green, exile a creature card from your graveyard, create a 1-2 green spider creature token with reach, then each opponent loses one life for each spider you control. There's Cloud Shredder Sliver, which is the rare sliver, red, white for a 1-1, flying haste, and all sliver creatures you control have flying and haste, and Magmatic Sinkhole, five and a red, instant, delve, Magmatic Sinkhole deals five damage to target creature or planeswalker. This is a pretty good three cards to choose between premium removal, strong, uncommon, and really strong rare. I mean, I don't like red-white slivers very much, but 
Cloud Shredder Sliver is a reason to draft that deck. So I think I would take that here. I think I would take Rot Widow Pack myself. I think the two gold cards are very close in power level, and I would much rather be base black green or base green splashing Rot Widow Pack than I would be taking Cloud Shredder Sliver. I think it's a much more narrow card, yeah. Cloud Shredder Sliver, and they're super close on power level. So I think rather than praying that Slivers is open, I think Rot Widow Pack, there's a lot more opportunities for green to be open and splashing it, even if you get cut out of black green. I I agree with everything you're saying. I don't agree that they're that close on power level. I think they're probably, well, maybe they're only like one gradation apart. Yeah, you're right. They're close. So I think I would be on Rot Widow Pack there. Guillaume disagrees and ended up on Cloud Shredder Sliver. Moving on to pack one, pick two, we're going to start seeing cards we've already read. So we'll only read the ones we haven't seen so far. There's a cleaving sliver, three and a red for the two, two sliver creatures you control get plus two plus O. There's an enduring sliver. That's the outlast guy, conifer worm, the four, four snow payoff and moonblade shinobi, the three and a blue three, two ninjutsu dude. Yeah. So, I mean, if you're taking cloud shredder sliver, then I think you need to follow it up with a sliver. I think I'd follow it up with cleaving sliver. Or decide that Conifer Worm is enough more powerful and I'd like to sort of maybe spread out a little bit and, and decide, leave myself options to go, well, I could go Slivers or I could go Green Snow or something, depending on what how the packs shake out. If you're Ben and you take Rot Widow pack first, you're just like windmill slamming the Conifer Worm, I think. Um, and I think if you take Cloud, Cloud Shredder Sliver, I think I might be inclined to take Cleaving Sliver. But that could that's like a high risk high reward kind of pick like if you get cut on slivers then you're just throwing away your first two picks you're not leaving yourself very open so the more i talk about it the more i think i would take conifer worm second here like if slivers is open great i'll get slivers and if not then i I will not regret taking this conifer worm well if between the two slivers enduring sliver is the better one right because it's a two drop i guess except i feel like cleaving sliver in conjunction with cloud shredder sliver is so good yeah that's true that makes sense and in lancer sliver cleaving sliver is really the thing that makes that deck super threatening yeah i'm into it but i think regardless of what you take rot widow pack or cloud shredder sliver i think i would just be on conifer worm here as the best card in the pack right yes you're supposed to draft what's open and you're supposed to feel it out there's a significant power level gap between conifer worm and all the rest of this cards in this pack yes i agree so i think you and i would have been on conifer for worm guillaume took moonblade shinobi none of those cards that's a pretty surprising pick there that's a really surprising pick to me because it doesn't it, right it sort of defies the two things that i think we think which is that it doesn't it neither goes with cloud shredder sliver nor is it the best card in the pack so i'm curious i mean i think he obviously thinks that it's the best card in the pack and so i don't know if that's a preference towards just everyone recognizing that ninjas is the best archetype him not liking snow decks very much. I, I don't know what this means, but I, I find this pick a, a little confusing. Yeah, I think it's suspect and I think it shows a pretty heavy bias away from snow or towards ninjas. And I don't think you should be biasing much at all in Modern Horizons, especially in the early picks. I think you want to be taking the cards that lead you down the most possible archetypes. Moving on to pack one, pick three, there's a factor fiction. There's an eye kite that's one in a blue for the one two flyer. And if you've drawn your second card this turn, it gets plus two plus oh until end of turn. And magmatic sinkhole, the five and a red delve deal five damage to a creature or planeswalker. I have something that I need to admit to you, Ben. What's that? More times than I'd like to, I'd like to really believe. I have drawn a card on my opponent's turn with eye kite in play and assumed it would be a three two. So I've like gone to blocks and been like, ha ha, I draw a card. And then my eye kite dies. And I'm like, oh, crap. <laughs> yeah, I've done that once. Yeah, I think I think I've done that more than once, which is pretty embarrassing. Um, yeah, here, I think between factor fiction or magmatic sinkhole for me, like I like eye kite. And I recognize that it's, it's both a very good enabler in the ninjas deck and also a very good um, sort of engine in the blue red spells deck. Um, but I don't think I would take that here. I think I would land on Magmatic Sinkhole as it, like, even, I think regardless of what way I've navigated the draft, I think Sinkhole is the best card in this pack. It also pairs well with the Sliver. And also, if I'm base green on the Rot Widow Pack Conifer Worm route, then Sinkhole is potentially splashable, and that's also fine. Yeah, I agree with all that, and Guillaume does as well. So the final deck ended up red-white slivers with four cleaving slivers, two irregular cohorts, birthing bows, and two first slivers chosen. That's the four and a white 3-3 that gives all your slivers exalted. That curve sounds pretty clunky to me. Just looking at that there and looking at the deck, the curve does indeed look a little clunky. There's some good two drops, but really some holes in the three drop slot. 
And the deck looks medium-ish, a little light on removal, maybe. Yeah, I mean, he's playing two Talisman of Convictions. Those are the red-white Talismans, which makes sense because he's got six four-drops and four five-drops. But that's not really what you want in your Slivers deck. Exactly. Like, you really want to be going Sliver, Sliver, Sliver. Like, And he just can't really do that. He has three two-drop creatures, or four two-drop creatures, but one of them is a trustworthy scout, so that's just doing nothing in his deck other than just being a random bear. Yeah, deck doesn't look great and didn't end up great. The record was one and two. Moving on to player number three. This is Jared Calabresi. Pack one, pick one. He's got an irregular cohort, a spring bloom druid. That's two and a green for the one one. Comes into play, you can sack a land. And if you do, you can search your library for two basic land cards and put them into play tapped. Watcher for tomorrow. That's the two one for one and a blue. It comes into play tapped. It has hideaway, which means you look at the top four cards of your library, pick one and exile it. And then when, when Watcher for tomorrow leaves the battlefield, you get to put that exiled card into your hand. And his rare is Future Sight, two triple blue for an enchantment, lets you look at the top card of your library and you can play the top card of your library as if it were in your hand. Yeah, this is a pretty stacked pack one, pick one here. A lot of good options. I kind of like this Watcher for Tomorrow over Future Sight. That's a really interesting pick. Future Sight is raw power, but Watcher is so good in so many decks. It's so depressing when your opponent plays a turn two Watcher for Tomorrow. And I think curve and early plays are so important in this format. So I would immediately be ruling it down to Watcher versus Future Sight. I think Watcher is better than both Spring Bloom Druid and a regular cohort. And I think I would land on Watcher for Tomorrow. And that's what Jared did as well. Yeah, I, I think you're. It's, it pains me because I love Future Sight so, so, so much. But you're really right. I mean, the times when, when you get to defile a Watcher for Tomorrow in response to the Hideaway trigger, you feel like you've done it, right? When you get to one for one with Watcher, it just feels amazing. But any other time, you're just like, oh God, what other shenanigans do they have? Are they going to blink it with Ephemerate? Are they going to bounce it with Mana War? Are they going to get it back from their graveyard once it dies? Like, Are they going to ninjutsu with yeah, it? Yeah, right. Exactly. There's just so many shenanigans with Watcher for Tomorrow that I think... Just it being a two drop, it not being triple blue, all of that adds up to, I think, a strong pick. So I, I agree with you and Jared here. Pack one, pick two. He sees the Rot Widow pack that got passed, Reign of Revelation, a Magmatic Sinkhole, and Ravenous Giant. That's two red red for the 5-5 five, five at Uncommon, and it deals a damage to you on your upkeep. Yeah, this is an interesting pick. I think I would rule it down to Rot Widow pack and Magmatic Sinkhole fairly quickly. I don't think Reign of Revelation is good enough to stay on track with blue here. And I think Magmatic Sinkhole is fine. I know a lot of pros, especially Sam Black, are really high on it. Multiple copies of it. I'm a little lower on it than that. I want exactly one Magmatic Sinkhole, maybe two at the most. There are definitely diminishing returns. And I think your graveyard is a very important resource in this format. So sometimes exiling cards from your graveyard feels actively bad. So I think I would just be looking to take the best card in the pack here early on in the draft. And I think that's Rotwood pack. I agree. Uh, Jared disagrees. He grabs the removal spell in Sinkhole here. And moving on to pack one, pick three, he's got the choice between Conifer Worm, Cleaving Sliver, Enduring Sliver, and Venomous Changeling. Yeah, I think similar to what we talked about before with the Conifer Worm pick, I think looking at the options here, Conifer Worm is significantly better than all these other cards. And despite the fact that it doesn't necessarily go with either the Watcher or Sinkhole that Jared has so far, I think you're still just looking to take the best card in the pack and feel it out. And you could very easily abandon Sinkhole or Splash it and go Blue Green Snow with a Watcher and a Conifer Worm. So I think Conifer Worm is a pretty clear pick for me here. Yeah, and Jared agrees and snaps that up. His final deck is a bit of a departure here. I, mean, I guess not really with the Watcher and the Sinkhole. He's on blue-red, I'm calling it blue-red clunkers. There's not really a lot of synergy or a lot of like Spells Matter stuff happening here, if at all. He's playing three Orcish Hellraisers, which is the one in a red 3-2 with Echo. And uh, when it dies, you deal two damage to a player or Planeswalker. And, and then he's splashing black for two copies of Unearth and Lightning Skelemental, which is the red, red, black, hasty rare. It's a 6-1. It's got Trample. It deals damage to a player. They discard two cards. I mean, it's really like that and Unearth is such a huge... One-two punch. Yeah, such a huge one-two punch. I agreed that I like it here. We don't, unfortunately, with this round the table segment that they do, you don't get to see people's mana base. So you don't know what how free this splash is or what his mana base looks like at all for this. But that's tough for three black cards. I mean, I guess, you know, the two unearths can be cycled. So that's okay. But this it's just this is just kind of tough. I mean, it feels like he tried to salvage it with the lightning skeletal unearth package. 
But other than that, this deck is a little rough. Yeah, I agree. I really miss the featured pod draft viewers where you could look at every pick from the entire pod from day one and day two. Wish they would bring that back, but we're doing the best we can with what we've got. I think it looks like he got cut out of blue here and probably just didn't realize it or didn't try to abandon it. So the only blue cards in the deck are Watcher, Winter's Rest, Prohibit, which is bad. That's the counter spell. Phantasmal Form, Factor Fiction, and two Pondering Mages. So, and pretty heavy red, looking like probably should have abandoned blue and didn't realize it soon enough maybe but no no way for us to know yeah that's fair that's a good call uh and unfortunately this is the o3 deck of this pod moving on to our fourth seat in the round table here was wilson mock and sees the following options for pack one pick one there's a mana war two and a blue for the two two when it etbs return target creature to its owner's hand Thundering Jin, three blue red for the three four flyer, and when it attacks, it deals damage to target creature or player equal to the number of cards you've drawn this turn. And Genesis, four and a green for the four four at the beginning of your upkeep. If Genesis is in your graveyard, you may pay two and a green. If you do, return target creature card from your graveyard to your hand. Am I crazy to think that Genesis is just kind of a windmill slam? I think Genesis is a windmill slam here. That card's a bomb. There's the combo with Spore Frog that makes it even better than normal, and just is a very good card in this format. And now where are you? So if, if we're windmill slamming Genesis, where are you at with Thundering Jin versus Mana War? Because I think Thundering Jin is maybe one of the best of those like uncommon gold cards. It, it feels so unbeatable if you untap with it. I still think I'd be on Mana War over Thundering Jin as a single colored card. Okay. I think Thundering Jin is not the type of card you want to splash. No. I, well, you could. But yeah, I, I agree with that. Um, I think but I think that's just a testament to how good mana war is yep cards absurd so wilson disagrees with our assessment that genesis is the pick here and landed on mana war which i think is defensible yeah i think so i i I wonder if that's i mean i don't know how much wilson has drafted this set but i wonder if that's a like nod to any sort of color preference or archetype preference or also a lack of playing with or against genesis in the format yeah moving on to pack one pick two see the following cards as options there's an irregular cohort, there's a spring bloom druid, and future sight, the enchantment we just talked about earlier that lets you play cards off the top of your deck. And if you're Wilson, I imagine you're thrilled to see that. Yeah, I mean, you get to follow up Mana War with future sight. I think if I had taken Genesis, I might just take spring bloom druid here. Like, I think Genesis is a really strong card. I mean, future sight is as well, but getting to start off with Genesis and Springbloom Druid seems really good to me. I agree. I think if I'd taken Genesis, I'd be on Springbloom Druid as well. But with Mana War, I think a pretty clear future site. And that's what Wilson took as well. Moving on to pack one, pick three, see the following cards as options. There's an Ikite. There's a Reign of Revelation, Rot Widow Pack, and Ravenous Giant, the two red, red, five, five. And at the beginning of your upkeep, it deals a damage to you. Yeah, I mean, you just get to go blue card, blue card, blue card here. And I guess I'd be on Ikite. Um, you've already got like a huge card advantage engine with Future Sight, and uh, you don't maybe need Rain of Revelation with that and Factor Fiction and Scour all possibilities as well as as options for you as blue card draw. So I like the iKite pick here, just get a, a cheap flyer. But this is the beauty of draft, right? There's two very different routes here, depending on what you pack one, pick one. If you Mana War, you go Mana War, Future Sight, iKite. Mm-hmm. And if you Genesis, I think you go Genesis, Spring Bloom, Druid, Rot Widow pack. And that's why draft is just far superior to any other way to play Magic the Gathering. And you all know that already because you're listening to Lords of Limited. And both of those are great starts to a draft. Those three cards are better starts than we've seen from any of the other three drafters. And he's got two different routes he could have taken. Mm -hmm. So ended up with a blue-black ninjas deck with Fallen Shinobi, Ingenious Infiltrator, and four times Ikites to enable those. None of the one drop changeling outcasts, but has a single fairy seer. So a little light on the one drop enabler side of things, but a lot of power here and also maybe lacking a bit on the removal side of things would be a weakness of this deck. I don't see a single piece of removal here. Yeah, choking tethers and mana war are his ways to interact. And then I guess hoping to find some removal from his opponent with fallen shinobi. Yeah. So ultimately ended up with a 2-1 record, and I think I would expect that based on the lack of removal. Yeah, it's tough because I just think looking at what these players produced in terms of their decks, it just looks like these packs were very removal light. Yeah, that makes sense. Moving on to number five, we got Samuel Marti. Now this pack on pick one, Ben, is going to maybe show us a little bit of shenanigans from the table. So his options are Moonblade Shinobi, Firebolt, which is the uncommon single red sorcery, deal two damage to any target, and it has flashback for four and a red. And his rare 
He's another winds of abandon across the table from Marcio Carvalho. Someone else opens the same exact bomb rare winds of abandon. Yeah, I mean, it's still great. And I think you still have to take it here and figure out what's going to come. Yep, absolutely. And that's what Samuel does as well. Pack one, pick two. He sees a snow island, a splicer skill. That's the two and a white sorcery that makes a 3-3 golem with splice onto an instant or sorcery. Thundering Jin, the blue-red uncommon, and... Genesis, bomb rare. Can we windmill slam it here? I think we can. Samuel Marty does as well. And then he's going to follow that same route that we thought. In pick three, he grabs the Spring Bloom Druid over a regular cohort and Enduring Sliver. His final deck is green-white splashing black for the Rot Widow pack that he gets, I assume, uh, after the uh, the Genesis and the Spring Bloom Druid. So he does that like one, two, three option that we thought the previous drafter could have done instead of taking the three blue cards. And that shows some good drafting there from Samuel. I think so. Um, this deck features, you know, the Genesis, but no Spore Frogs. Um, Rot Widow pack, as we said, two Battle Screeches, which is really strong. Um, a nice looking... A set of two drops with double mother bear, a lesser masticore, saddled rhyme stag. But then also there's no removal. Like we're not seeing any settled beyond realities in the five drop slot for white. Like were they just not opened at the table? Like his winds of abandon, his rare, that's his piece of interaction. And then he also has a tornado, which is the like plummet with cycling. Yeah, that's a bit of a yikes. Also pretty crazy that if you pick up Genesis that early, there were zero spore frogs opened at the table. That feels hard for me to imagine. I mean, you may not have known about it he may not have been looking for it or maybe it was like he took a battle screech over it and hoped it wheeled and it didn't something like that happened yeah makes sense yeah uh this deck went one and two and again like we see some good cards but not a lot of good interaction and i think that's something that we've been touting from the beginning about modern horizons is you just need ways to disrupt your opponent's synergy and again i I, it just also seems like maybe that didn't exist for him at this seat. Moving on to our next seat, player six was Paul Rietzel and had a pretty weak pack one pick one. He was the second featured drafter or actually was rather the first featured drafter, but just happened to be in a different place on the around the table segment. His pack one pick one was very weak. Options were snow covered forest, venomous changeling, the two and a black one, three death touch changeling or mox tantalite, which is not a good card at all. It was pretty hard to see a lot of the cards in his pack over the course of his draft. So it might've been some other cards here that were worth consideration, but pretty weak pack if you're first picking Snow-Covered Forest, although that does make a statement to the person to your left. I mean, if they see a Snow-Covered Forest missing. Yeah, I mean, I don't hate that here. It is such a weak pack, and I think the Snow-Covered Forest as a signal is worth it. You know, remember back in, uh, like, when there were ever ever flip cards, like an Innistrad block, when you drafted that in paper, people saw what your double-faced card was, And so that made a statement. You got to just be like, I'm taking this black card. And so then people got to know like, oh, he he wants to be black pretty hard. And and then based on the power level of that card, people could also draw conclusions like, oh, it's going to be really hard to push this person off of Huntmaster of the Fells, like better steer clear of red green or whatever. So I think there's something to be said about that, about passing a pack with no snow lands in it. And the snow deck is very good. And this pack is weak. So I think Snow-Covered Forest is a pretty smart pickup here for Paul. Yep, Paul agrees and took the Snow-Covered Forest. Moving on to pack one, pick two. See the following cards as options. There's a Moonblade Shinobi. There's Ruination Rioter, red-green for the 2-2. And when it dies, it deals damage to any target equal to the number of land cards in your graveyard. And your uncommon, that is probably fairly likely to be the pick here, is Firebolt, single red, deal two damage to any target, flashback for four and red. Yep. Firebolt seems like the best card here. Cheap, efficient, potential to get a two for one with. I would slam it here. Yep, Paul agrees and slammed Firebolt. Moving on to pack one, pick three. There's a Snow Island. There's Mother Bear, one and a green for the two two and has the ability three green green. If Mother Bear is in your graveyard, you pay that cost, exile it and make two 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 bear tokens. And then your uncommon that is in consideration here is Thundering Jin, three red blue for the three four flyer. Deals damage when it attacks equal to the number of cards you've drawn this turn. I think Thundering Gen is really strong. It's in one of my favorite archetypes. I think it's a bomb in that archetype, and it's a great follow-up to Firebolt, so I'd be really happy to take it here. Yeah, Paul agrees and took Thundering Gen. I'd have been on that as well. Moving on to pack one, pick four. This is a much more interesting pick here. Mm-hmm. A lot of options. There's Tribute Mage, two and a blue for the 2-2 that lets you search up an artifact with CMC exactly two. There's a regular Cohorts, two white-white for the 2-2 that brings a Changeling friend along with it. Begarden Dragonheart, two and a red for the 2-2 and has the ability to sacrifice a creature. Begarden Dragonheart becomes a 4-4 flying dragon with haste until end of turn. Phantasmal Form, two and a blue for the instant. 
Each of up to two target creatures become three, three flyers until end of turn, draw a card. And there's also a snow island still hanging out in the pack. So there's not really a great follow-up to Firebolt Thundering Gin. I think I think Bogarden Dragonheart might be the best option. That card just continues to impress me, though it's much more at home in red black than it is in red blue. Because in red blue, you don't often have a lot of creatures. Like you don't have fodder for it very often. So you're not able to take advantage of just like plopping it down and, and giving it haste like you are when you have like a putrid goblin in play, say. So it's a good card, but maybe not very good with Firebolt and Thundering Gin, though you don't know that you're going to be blue-red, so I don't hate taking it here. But then there's also the Snow Island 4th that like is a nice little towing the line between maybe I can still be the Snow Deck and Splash Thundering Gin and Firebolt. Maybe I just have the Snow Island in a blue-red deck and have a minor snow sub-theme. Like the pack is has a lot of good-ish cards in it, but they're all kind of on the same power level or like, you know medium to replaceable power level. So I think I would land on Snow Island here, but I, I'm not sure. It's it's close for me. I think I would be on Bogard and Dragonheart for all the reasons you mentioned. And even though you don't often have stuff you want to sacrifice in Blue Red, Blue Red is the deck probably in the format most where it's a what's your life total at kind of deck. Yeah. And you're really trying to deal damage in big chunks. So once you get your opponent down, Bogard and Dragonheart, you know, getting your opponent from eight to zero, sacrificing your last two creatures is not that big of a deal if you're going to kill them dead. So I think I would land on that there. Paul ended up on Snow Island, so now has Snow Forest, Snow Island, Firebolt, and Thundering Gin in his pile. Moving on to pack one, pick five, you see the following cards as options. There's a Goblin War Party, three and a red, choose one, make three one one Goblin creature tokens, or creatures you control get plus one plus one and gain haste until end of turn and has an entwine cost for two and a red. There's Vengeful Devil, one and a red for the one one, Morbid, if a creature died this turn, you can tap, do one damage to any target, and Ravenous Giant, two red red for the five five. At the beginning of your upkeep, it deals a damage to you. Yeah, so nice. I mean, three good-ish red cards. Vengeful Devil is kind of an underperformer. I, I really want that card to be good. Maybe it's okay in red-black when, when you've got some sacrifice outlets, but usually it's not great. Um, so between Goblin War Party and Ravenous Giant, I think I'd take Ravenous Giant. Not totally synergistic in the format, but it, it is keyword big in a format where keyword big is kind of good. Yep, agree. I would also be on Ravenous Giant, and Paul agrees as well, and put that in his pile, and pretty heavily committed to red at this point. Mm -hmm. Moving on to pack one, pick six, see the following cards as options. There's a Cleaving Sliver, another Bogarden Dragonheart, Excavating a Nurid, that's four and a green for the four, four, and if you have Threshold, it gets plus one, plus one in Vigilance, and when it comes into play, you have the option to sacrifice a land. If you do, you draw a card, and there's Talisman of Creativity, that's the blue-green Talisman. Here, I would take Bogard and Dragonheart. I'd be, I'd be happier with that over Cleaving Sliver. And again, like I said, maybe it's not great in blue-red, but it's still good. And uh, I would be not unhappy to include it in my deck. Yeah, I would also be on Dragonheart. Paul disagrees and took Talisman of Creativity here, maybe valuing the ramp into Ravenous Giant and Thundering Djinn, as well as the option to splash down the road. But I think I would have been on Dragonheart as well. I also wonder if this was a not... Maybe, I feel like maybe he doesn't like Bogard and Dragonheart as we've seen him pass it up twice here, or at least maybe he doesn't like it in blue-red. And this may be a nod to like, he may be kind of drafting two different decks right now with like Snow Forest, Snow Island, and T Blue Green Talisman, and then also Ravenous Giant, Thundering Gen, Firebolt, like being like, all right, I have two directions I can go. Right. And and the Talisman's half on color in that blue red deck. So mm -hmm. I think we'll probably make the cut there as well. The pack rounds out with not a ton of interesting picks. Picks up a Goblin War Party, followed by a Chiller Pillar. The coverage team was calling that Filler Pillar. That cracked me up. I hadn't heard that yet. <laughs> Then a Bladeback Sliver, an Excavating Anurid, an Antuco Cultivator, and just a lot of filler type stuff. So pretty clearly looking blue-red at the beginning of pack two. Can we just talk about Nantuko Cultivator over Snow Island pick 11? Ooh, yeah. That's crazy to me. Nantuko Cultivator is not a good card. That's the three and a green 2-2. Two, two. When it comes into play, you can discard any number of lands, and then you draw that number of cards and put that many plus and plus one counters on the Cultivator. That card is poop. Yeah, even, not great. Even in red-green, it's not good. At the beginning of pack two... Had a pick between Mana War versus Fallen Shinobi, which is the blue-black bomb rare ninja, and ended up on Mana War and struggled pretty hard on that decision. And I think Mana War is the disciplined pick there. Mm -hmm. And then pick two, picked up an exclude, and the rest of the pack rounded out with Ravenous Giant, Watcher for Tomorrow, a couple of Orcish Hellraisers, but not a ton of stuff. Um, his deck, I don't think he was happy with at the end of it, but ultimately ended up with blue-red and 3-0'd the pod. Yeah, I, I was looking at this draft as being kind of train wrecky, and then when they were doing the Around the Table segment, Paul Chian made a really good point. He was like, yeah, this isn't 
really what Blue Red is trying to do. Like he's playing three copies of Phantasmal Form. That's not good. That card is filler. But he's got a good curve of like two Blade Black Slivers, two Orcish Hellraisers, Watch for Tomorrow, into double Man of War, into double Ravenous Giant. Like I could just see him being able to punch through damage here. And then Phantasmal Form probably finished off a lot of games for him. Also, we've seen a lot of decks that are not good, and this does look like a functional deck. Right, exactly. Player seven here. We're going to round out this draft. This is Andrew Zigas. Uh, pack one, pick one. He's got Springbloom Druid, Munitions Expert, the black-red Uncommon Goblin, Valiant Changeling, a regular cohort, and Sling Gang Lieutenant. This is a card we haven't seen yet. That's three and a black for a 1-1 Goblin. When it comes into play, you make two 1-1 Goblin tokens, and you can sacrifice a Goblin to drain your opponent for one. Yeah, this is an interesting pack one, pick one. I think you can make a case for any of Springbloom Druid, Munitions Expert, Cohort, or Sling Gang Lieutenant. I think Lieutenant is good enough that, you know... I'm going to narrow it down to that or Springbloom Druid as the the single colored options. I think Munitions Experts on their power level, but would rather not start off with a gold card that requires me to get a lot of goblins. And Sling Gang Lieutenant is just good on its own, regardless of what else you have going on. I think I would end up on that over Springbloom Druid, but I I could certainly see Springbloom Druid being a reasonable pick as well. Yes, I agree. I mean, Springbloom Druid is really strong and really good enabler for a lot of archetypes, but Sling Gang Lieutenant just overperforms for me so so often it's really good in goblins but it's also just really good in like in ninjas it's good in anything when you can recur stuff from your graveyard i just like the card so much andrew agrees with that and grabs it uh pack one pick two this is the mox tantalite pack from paul it's also got a blade back sliver a venomous changeling and a zalfrin decoy which is one and a white for a one three and if a creature entered the battlefield under your control this turn you can tap it to tap target creature Yeah, this is an interesting pick here. I think this is a pretty weak pack. I don't like any of these cards particularly. I would rule it down to Venomous Changeling and Bladeback Sliver. And I think the pack is weak enough that I would just want to stay on color with my Sling Gang Lieutenant and I would be on Venomous Changeling here. I agree 100%. Uh, And Andrew grabbed Zalfrin Decoy, which is really surprising to me because I don't think that card is particularly strong at all. Yeah, that's shocking to me. I don't really think white's a good color. Would not want to branch into white for a card like Zalfrin Decoy. If I were taking a card of a second color here, it would be Bladeback Sliver over Venomous Changeling, but still like Venomous Changeling. Moving on to pack one, pick three. Here he grabs a Venomous Changeling over the Moonblade Shinobi and Ruination Riot or the Red Green Uncommon 2-2. Yeah, I agree with that pick. Yeah. And his final deck, he is the Goblins drafter here. He's got Red Black Goblins splashing white for two copies of Etchings of the Chosen. That seems like a yikes. Well, so I agree that it's a yikes, except that I hadn't really considered this, but Edges of the Chosen actually seems like a pretty fine include in a goblins deck if his mana is good so etchings of the chosen is one white black for an enchantment as it enters the battlefield you choose a creature type creatures you control of the chosen type get plus and plus one and you can pay one to sack a creature of the chosen type to give target creature you control indestructible until end of turn yeah, it was really a bummer that you can't see the mana bases with these because there was a snow deck in day two that looked awesome and didn't go three o. so i was wondering maybe if you didn't have the critical mass of blue and green snowlands so i think i wish they would start including the mana base yeah you listening, Watsy? We want the mana bases. Well, we want the full draft viewer back, but if we can't get that, can we at least get mana bases? But like other than that, I mean, he's got good, good synergy here. Double Goblin Matron, triple Venomous Changeling, triple Goblin War Party, double Silumgar Scavenger, like got some removal in Defile, Mob, and Magmatic Sinkhole. Like this deck looks pretty decent to me. The curve's a little high. The curve's a little high and the splash is a little questionable. And there's an ice hide golem here. What is that doing here? Well, I imagine he's playing like some snow planes or something. But yeah, I don't know what ice hide golem is doing in this deck. Yeah, I guess the more I look at it, there's like some good parts of this deck, but also some clunky parts. And uh, the record was one and two. Moving on to our last seat here in the around the table. Player eight is Petter Danik. Pack one, pick one. Sees the following options. There's Magmatic Sinkhole. Factor Fiction, and the rare Ranger Captain of Eos. One white white for the 3-3. When it enters the battlefield, you may search your library for a creature card with convert a mana cost one or less. Reveal it, put it into your hand, then shuffle your library. And has the ability Sacrifice Ranger Captain of Eos. Your opponents can't cast non-creature spells this turn. Yeah, I really want Ranger Captain of Eos to be good, but more often than not, it's just a Centaur Courser in Limited, and so it's not that exciting. And I think between Factor Fiction or Magmatic Sinkhole, I would land on the removal spell in Sinkhole. 
I agree. I would have been on sinkhole as well. Petter disagrees and snapped up Ranger Captain of Eos. Moving on to pack one, pick two. See the following cards as options. There's Irregular Cohort, Valiant Changeling, Munitions Expert, the Black Red Goblin Uncommon that deals damage when ETB is equal to the number of goblins you control, and Spring Bloom Druid, two and a green for the 1-1 one, one when ETB is Sack a Land, Search Your Library for up to two land cards. If I think if I had taken Magmatic Sinkhole first, I would land on Munitions Expert here. Yeah, that makes sense. Petter, with a Ranger Captain of Eos in the pile, snapped up Spring Bloom Druid over these other cards, which I think is pretty close on power level to all the cards, so mm-hmm. certainly cannot fault him for that there. And moving on to pack one, pick three, sees the following cards as options. There's a Venomous Changeling, Cleaving Sliver, a Bladeback Sliver, Excavating Anurid, and Winding Way. That's one in a green, name, creature, or land, reveal the top four cards of your library, and put the cards of the named type into your hand. Yeah, I think this pack is pretty weak. If I had gone Magmatic Sinkhole into Munitions Expert, I think I would just take Venomous Changeling here. Having taken Spring Bloom Druid as Petter, I don't know what I would take here. I don't really like Winding Way that much, and I certainly don't want to have multiples of them, but maybe I'm undervaluing how it goes in red-green specifically. Yeah, I certainly think that's possible. Regardless, I don't think the optimal way to start the seat was Ranger Druid Winding Way. I think you're feeling a lot better if you go Sinkhole, Munitions Expert, Blade Black Sliver, or Munitions expert sinkhole venomous changeling either of those feel like a more clear start to a draft yeah i mean it it would have been pretty awkward if you did start that way as the person directly to your right ended up in red black goblins but um hopefully you would have felt that out yeah so ended up in a red green splashing white deck for a settle beyond reality and had three spring bloom druids and a pretty good land in your graveyard synergy a couple morasa behemoths excavating a nurid uh, the Spring Bloom Druids to get them there are Reap the Pass to rebuy a bunch of cards from the graveyard and two Runation Riders. Yeah, I like the look of this deck a lot. Yeah, it's very synergistic. Yeah, uh, this deck went 2-1. So if we take a look at everything that went on at the table, there was one blue-white deck, one red-white deck, two blue-red decks, one blue-black deck, one green-white deck, one red-black deck, and one red-green deck. So it feels like the people ended up you know, not trying to pile on top of each other in archetypes, just maybe some rocky starts to some of those drafts. Yeah, the only overlap was the two blue-red decks, and one of those decks went 3-0, and the other deck went 0-3. Yeah, and I think we saw a lot of weak packs there, and, you know, maybe struggling to feel out what the open archetype was for a lot of the folks based on the packs being weak, but cool to get a look back at Modern Horizons, and this is going to continue to stay relevant for the next month or so here, as Sealed and Draft are going to be the featured formats at the GP at Magic Fest Vegas, which, again... Ethan and I are both going to be at, so you should book your tickets to GP Vegas if you've not, and come hang out and listen to the live recording of Lords of Limited while you're there. For sure. I am so excited. I can't wait. Yep. Really looking forward to Vegas. That's a great place to wrap us up. Thank you, as always, to Salty Pretzels for our intro and outro music. Make sure you give that a listen. Come check us out on Twitch, or at least me. Ben is just too swamped at work. Twitch.tv slash Lord Tupperware for me. Twitch.tv slash Mr. Metronome for Ben. Mr. is spelled out. You can find us on Twitter under those same usernames, and you can tweet at the podcast at Lords of Limited. If you got any feedback about the show or any questions, shoot us an email at lordsoflimited at gmail.com. Thank you so much for listening, and we will catch you next week for another episode of Lords of Limited. Thanks, everybody. See you later. There's enduring sliver. See, this is this is one of those things where I just wrote like outlast sliver because I didn't remember what it was called. <laughs> uh, Vesper lark, which is two and a white. Oh my god, reading these cards is a nightmare. I don't even want to talk about Vesper lark. That card sucks. Maybe sometimes even earlier, depending if you get some of the. Wow, I really don't remember any card names. The th- the three one changeling. There's a splicers skill that's uh, two and a white. For an instant, no, it's sorcery. Oh, Christ.
There's a Rot Widow pack, two black green for the two four spider with reach. Holy cow. Yeah, right. Yeah, and how do you like it now, huh? <laughs> <coughs> what is it? Is it two black green it's for the th- activated ability? Three black green. And has the But do you know what it is? The ability? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. I think so. Okay. <laughs> well, just just give me a second here. This is gonna be the outtake. <laughs> this is gonna be the outtake for sure. <laughs> so this is two black green for the two four spider with reach. Whenever another spider enters the battlefield under your control, you uh nope. Target opponent no. You're uh, <laughs> sorry, you gotta start. It. You gotta start over. It's it's <laughs> it's whenever spider enters, they lose life for each spider you control. No, there's no that's not the no. It it only happens that's in the activated ability. It's only in the activated ability, yeah. Ah dang it. <laughs> <laughs> so it's so it's three black green activated ability. Put a spider into play and they lose a life for each other spider you control. And how do you, do you just put a spider into play or what? What do you need you to ex- do? <laughs> You're the worst. <laughs> Obviously, you exile a creature. You didn't from say graveyard. that though. I know that, and our listeners know that. You're not giving our listeners enough credit. God, I'm sweating right now. <laughs> okay. A Ruination Rider. This is red-green for the uncommon 2-2, and when it dies, it deals damage to target opponent equal to the number of lands in your graveyard. It's any target. Really? Yeah. No. 100%. 100%? 100%. I mean, it's usually used to finish off your opponent, but 100%. What is it? Ruination Rider. Whoa, any target. Pog champ. 100%. I shouldn't doubt you. <laughs> and yet... And yet, if, if a Maz told you it was any target, you'd believe no, him. No, get out of here! <laughs> get out of here! That is so not true. Outtake number seven. 